0: Patient proclamation was the subject of only one full length book in the late twentieth century, until our guest today, doctor Alan have got hold of it. We'll find out what he has to say about this important document when we return on Civil War Talk Radio.
1: Have you let your website go stale? Wish you didn't have to wait for your web developer to return your call when you want to update content? You don't have to. Now you can easily and instantly manage your own website content using affordable Avalar technology. Avalar is a website development and hosting company that provides turnkey internet solutions for companies like yours that need to stay focused on core business. Avalar gives you the power to control your website and make updates and additions in real time without having to learn HTML or other complicated programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts, and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio,
2: where the world comes to talk.
1: To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back
0: to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Dr. Alan C. Gelzo of Gettysburg College author of Abraham Lincoln, Redeemer, President, and other important books. Alan, in our first uh, segment we talked about Lincoln himself, and then in our second segment we talked about Lincoln's religion. Back in that first segment you mentioned uh, that you got started writing about Lincoln and religion in part because the project was offered to another professor and you thought it would be better off in your hands, and you were too circumspect to name names as to who that other potential author was. Unlike you, however, I I have no such uh, self-control on this show, and so I would like to start. uh, uh, So, I'd like to ask you a question about a a book that was discussed last week, uh, Harry Stout's new book on the uh, the moral history of the Civil War, Mm -hmm. uh, which which he and I discussed at great length last week. I believe that that book raises some very important issues and starts. Should start some very important conversations about the history of the Civil War, but at the same time, I thought it was riddled with factual errors and a number of logical inconsistencies as well that, that made it, for me, really not the, the the book I was hoping it would be. I thought from the title this was going to be something we long needed in the field, and I I, I was rather disappointed by what what I found. Uh, some parts were great, some were not. It was very inconsistent. Um your, your comment on the jacket of that book is, is positive. That's why they put them there, I guess. Uh, did you really like it?
2: Well, yes, I did for this very principal reason, and that is that Stout is asking questions that no one else has really asked for a very long time. And they're important questions that push us out of the realm simply of Treating the Civil War as a long-dead historical event, and asking probing questions of it as though it was still alive, and able to give us some answers to use today. Uh, when you can get history to do that for you, I think that's a real accomplishment. But even more, <laughs> when you can get uh, when you can get history to help you think about moral questions, then that's that, then I think that's really become. Uh, an achievement of, of the highest order, even if the execution of it may sometimes leave a little bit to be desired. And certainly I'd, my own uh, questions to, uh, to Skip uh, about his invocation of total war and a number of other things, uh, I, I do have my my reservations about some arguments and some pieces of the book. But for the fact that he asked the right questions, even if I don't really agree with all of his answers, I still appreciate the fact that he has pushed those questions out there to the fore um, with a real vengeance. And I think that he's really set the stage very nicely.
0: Well, I I don't think there's any argument there that 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 book does ask very important questions and does get people thinking about issues that we need to think about. And I, I will just say I was disappointed... So much by the execution, Um, even in a technical sense, when he discusses things like uh, the argument of proportionality and the use of force, Mm -hmm. uh, the definition is completely different from that of of Michael Waltzer or anybody else who's written on on proportionality as a moral principle in warfare. Uh, he He uses it inversely to refer to how much you're willing to lose and how much you're willing to destroy, which is logically out of the control of the commander. I, I shouldn't be having this discussion with you, but with him. <laughs> well, uh, and I did last but, week. We just ran out of time. Right. So bear you're bear in
2: mind that Skip is a, um, is, is, a, is a religious historian, and it's something of an act of bravery on his part to wade as deeply as he has into the the, the thickly strewn terrain of, of the Civil War. I think of his book in some ways as being comparable to Charles Royster's Destructive War, which was another book that posed to the characters of the Civil War some very pointed moral questions. And like Royster's book, it's a very unusual book. There There's nothing, nothing quite like Royster's Destructive War in, in Civil War literature. And I think that Skip follows something of the same pattern in trying to ask moral questions about the war as a whole. I, and I respect that, and I want to encourage it. I did read the manuscript for Skip, and I, I hope I can say this without Skip being embarrassed by my saying it, that there were a few other things in there which had to get corrected in terms of specific names, dates, and places uh, on the manuscript before, before it could see print. And, well, of course, one thing that I disagreed with him quite strenuously was about the total war business. And the use of technology, uh, which I think has been grossly overrated. In, yes,
0: in I, I would certainly agree with that. I, well, I saw a, a, an advance copy of it and didn't. I, I didn't want to review it until I had seen the published copy because I, I was sure that some of the factual errors I saw would would surely be corrected in the final copy, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. And I, I was. I guess that disappoints me because I'm afraid that will weaken the impact of the book that some of the the enthusiasts who don't want to look beneath the surface of the war and ask these hard questions will be tempted to dismiss the book because he he got this name or date wrong and then that would be unfortunate if they did that Um, but uh, Roycer's book you mentioned is an interesting one too. I I remember being very excited about that because his book on the revolutionary uh, period was so good Yes. and I didn't I guess I'll just admit I didn't get the the destructive war. Uh, the chapter on Columbia was brilliant. The burning of South Columbia, South Carolina, yes. um, but beyond that, he, he seemed to, to me it seemed to say, well, the war just got worse and worse. And uh, Mark Grimsley has said the same thing. Uh, Gerald Linderman has said the same thing. Uh, we know that the war got worse and worse.
2: Um, well, I think for Royster, what the point he wanted to make was that. It got worse because Americans have no way of resolving intractable differences apart from resorting to the, the deepest levels of violence. For Americans and American culture, there's no gradation in dealing. That more, The more you polarize an issue in moral terms, the less capable we are of arriving at any kind of resolution, and the more likely we are, to immediately begin to get the clubs out and bludgeoning ourselves, which which is why, for for Royster, the two great uh, examples, the two great paladins of the Civil War are not Grant and Lee, whom he finds to be fairly pallid characters, but Jackson and Sherman. Mm -hmm. And particularly, he paints Jackson in terms so violent, so extraordinary, that he begins to resemble Sir R. Teagle's Iron Man Talus, uh, striding through the world with his iron flail. And as far as Royster was concerned, that resort to absolute violence, that's very American, that's rooted right in our culture, and this is why the preeminent examples that we drew, should draw out of the Civil War uh, are the figures of people like Jackson and Sherman, because Jackson and Sherman are us. That was a very, very unusual and iconoclastic way of going at the Civil War but it did ask a major question about how Americans deal with the resolution of problems what is our moral core so to speak And you know here comes uh, Skip stout and uh, many years after after Royster's book in you know, 10 I guess 10 maybe 15 years after Royster's book, uh, heres really the first person to come again, asking a set of questions very similar to that, since Skip's thesis is that by injecting religion more and more into the war, people like Lincoln effectively upped the ante so far that there was no way to get resolution in the Civil War except with absolute triumph, absolute destruction of the Confederacy, uh, a complete uh, knockout blow. At the, at the end of the war, that, that leaves the North you know, as, as the unquestioned victor. Uh, there is, there's really a bright line, I think, that goes between Royster's book and Skip's book, and they're both arguing about the way American culture functions, the extremes it goes to. Well, I think what Skip wants to do explicitly, Royster only implicitly, is to say that the factor that, uh, the overriding factor that makes for that violence is religion.
0: Now, Russell Wigley has argued this as well, uh, the American way of war, that yeah. this is an mm-hmm. endemic in our culture, whether it's just cultural or specifically religious. But a counter-argument would be that this is just American exceptionalism again, that, that uh, other nations fight wars to the death. Uh, is this really unique to our nation and our history?
2: Well, I think that there is an implication of exceptionalism in both uh, Royster and Stout. I don't think it's um, I don't think it's said in so many words, but but there it is. And for both Skip Stout and many other American religious historians, it is the peculiarities of American religion which do make America exceptional. I mean, the, the notion that America is exceptional is, is certainly not a new one. It's been around, my goodness, since the Revolution. Uh, The question that people have looked for have been, you know, what are the roots of American exceptionalism? And some people have found it in geography, you know, this Turner and the Frontier Thesis, and other people have found it in cultural features, like Hofstadter's book on anti-intellectualism in American life. And still others uh, have looked for it in religious millennialism, like Ernest Tuveson's uh, Redeemer Nation. Um, I I think that what... uh, what Skip and Royster have both done, is once again, yes, we're talking about American exceptionalism, but we're also looking at this one feature of American life which is supposed to make us so exceptional, religion. And instead of it giving exceptionalism a positive twist, it gives it a genuinely negative one. It is as though religion curdles the American character, and inclines it towards these uh, winner-take-all, take-no-prisoners kinds of of, uh, face-offs.
0: It's interesting that this should be coming up. Religion has, has traditionally not been something that Civil War scholars have looked at in much detail.
2: Well, no, no, and and usually when when it does get in there, it's it's either handled by people who don't speak the lingo very well, and sometimes the results are pretty laughable, Uh, or else it's sometimes written by people who are doing something which is not that far removed from religious proselytization. Um, In in neither case do you really get a really firm, clear grip on what religion was doing in American life in the era of the Civil War.
0: This would be a perfect segue to bring us back to Lincoln and how he muted that, how he was able to call for, you know, in order to touch the religious sensibility in the, in the second inaugural without calling for uh, God's vengeance on the other side.
2: Well, I think that is, and this is a point at which I disagree with, with Stout and, and, uh, and his book. And I think that in the second inaugural, there is an exhortation to step back. And Lincoln's invocation of providence, not a specific religious interpretation of God, but a general notion of providence, there he's able to say, all right, this, this nation does function under the judgment of God, but it is a judgment, not a triumphalism, and the result is to be humility. I don't think that if religion can have that result in our lives, I don't think that it's a bad thing. And if it's exceptional for American life, it might be good for more than just Americans.
0: Well, I I certainly agree with you more, uh, again, than than Professor Stout on that point. Um, Unfortunately, the song swelling in the background tells us uh, all too soon we're out of time. Um, Alan, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, Thank you, Jerry. I look forward to the chance, and we'll see each other again on the Lincoln Circuit sometime.
2: I am sure, and best wishes for all of your work there in uh, the Carolinas, and North Carolina, and uh, especially since my son was a Marine at Fort L- Camp Lejeune. We had the pleasure of passing nearby and waving to you as we went.
0: That, that uh, glad to hear that. Well, and thank you again for being on the show, and listeners, thank you for joining us today on Civil War Talk Radio.